I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone-chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Welcome to this week's episode. Before we get too far into the episode, if you haven't listened to part one of the Allagash abductions, you need to go back and listen to that one first, then come back here and join me for part two. Just a reminder that Lurk is looking for your spooky stories to share for our Christmas ghost story episode that will come out on December 23rd. If you have a paranormal story to tell, that would include ghosts, cryptids, aliens, whatever, send it to me at lurkpodcast at yahoo.com or send it via a DM on Facebook or Instagram. So before we get into the meat of the episode here, I want to recap what the UFO categories are. NL stands for nocturnal light, which is an anomalous nighttime light. DD, which is daylight disc, which is any UFO sighted in the daytime. RV is radar visual, a simultaneous radar and visual sighting. CE is a close encounter, which is a UFO within 500 feet. A CE1 is a close encounter of the first kind, which is only a UFO is sighted. CE2 is a close encounter of the second kind, where UFO and physical evidence are present. CE3 is a close encounter of the third kind, which is UFO and aliens. And a CE4 is a close encounter of the fourth kind, which is an actual abduction by aliens. In part one, we heard about two different sightings that Jim and Jack Weiner, Chuck Rack, and Charlie Foltz experienced on the Allagash Waterway in the wilds of Maine. The first one was an NL, or nocturnal light, and the second was a CE1, a close encounter of the first kind. When we left our story last week, four men, Jim and Jack Weiner, identical twin brothers, and their friends, Chuck Rack and Charlie Foltz, are in Maine on a camping, canoeing, and fishing trip. They are in a secluded area in the Allagash River Basin, when they see a glowing object that comes over to their canoe after one of them signals to it. The guys end up back at their camp, watching the object disappear, and they have no idea how the large bonfire they built burned out in what seemed to be only 15 to 20 minutes of time. So that was in August of 1976. Now we're going to fast forward to 1988. Raymond Fowler, the author of the book, Allagash Abductions, is the keynote speaker at a UFO symposium in Massachusetts. Mr. Fowler is approached by Jim Weiner, one of the twins. Jim had been experiencing strange things beginning in 1980. He would wake up to see strange creatures looking at him, levitating him from his bed, and he experienced temporary paralysis while something was done to his genitals. Jim felt it might be related to the experience he, his brother, and two friends had in Maine in 1976. 
Jim went on to say that his brother and friends were also experiencing nightmares since their UFO encounter in Maine. After interviewing the four men initially, Fowler wondered what exactly happened to the men during the missing time between signaling the craft and getting back to shore. Remember, they had built a large bonfire that was built to last two to three hours, but the four said it was burnt to embers in only 15 to 20 minutes. So there was obvious missing time. Jack Weiner, Jim's brother, described the following recurring dream. Two years ago, I started having these terrible nightmares that have recurred several times. I always awaken from them in a really hyper state of panic and and uncontrollable fear, and I'm not right for several days afterward. In this nightmare, I am standing against a wall or some kind of upright table. It is in a place filled with a bright, hazy light. This light makes it impossible to see any boundaries of the space or any features of the space. I'm standing, but I can't move at all. I can't even speak, but I am fully awake and thinking. I am aware that Jim and Chuck and Charlie are sitting on some kind of bench or low table to my immediate left. I'm thinking, why don't you do something? For God's sake, help me. Please help me. But they don't even seem to notice me. They just sit there as if entranced. Then I notice some movement in the haze directly in front of me. The next sight sends me into complete panic. This thing comes toward me, and then it's standing right in front of me, looking at me. I'm feeling really scared. All I can think about is getting out of there. I'm thinking, I've got to get out of here. Don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. Next, I realize that there is more movement coming out of the haze, and a second thing is standing there, right in front of me. By this time, I'm beside myself with fright. All I can think about is getting out of there. The two things are looking back and forth, from me to each other. Their heads are quivering like they're nodding at each other, but they don't make any noise at all. Then the one opposite me, on my left, reaches out and grasps my left wrist and begins to raise it up. It seems as though they are looking at my arm and then up to my armpit. I can see that the one on the right has some kind of metallic-looking tool or gadget of some kind in his hand. I don't like the looks of it. I think that they're going to do something to my armpit, that they're going to put it in my armpit. At this point, I feel as if I'm going to be eaten alive and I really become totally lost in absolute hysterical fear. Then I wake up. I'm totally soaked in sweat and waking with the worst case of the dreads that you can possibly imagine. This nightmare always leaves me affected for several days. The first few times I remembered the nightmare, I could not remember what the thing's heads or faces looked like, though I could remember from the neck to their legs. Then... Last year, I again had this nightmare. This time when I woke up, I could distinctly remember all of them. I almost wish I hadn't. Hypnosis had already been suggested by Jim Weiner's physician, so Jim was willing to do hypnosis with a MUFON consultant. For those who aren't aware, MUFON stands for Mutual UFO Network. 
It's an international network that investigates UFO reports from around the globe. So in 1989, the MUFON consultant hypnotizes Jim. Jim described the events leading up to the UFO coming towards them in the canoe. He said at first the light from the object panned over the canoe, then it locked on them, and that's when they all became terrified. When Jim was directed to remember what happened, he became agitated. Jim says that when the light locks on them, it's like being in a tube. He said it was kind of sparkling in the tubes, like the walls were moving somehow. He likened it to smoke swirling in light. Jim said that once inside the craft, he sees Jack and there are some type of beings that are doing something to him. There are three to four of these beings wearing suits and looking at Jack's arm. The beings had arms and legs and they had gloves on. They have three to four fingers and it seems like the fingers are connected somehow. The gloves are shiny and blue-gray. The creatures wore some kind of suit. By suit, I'm imagining a spacesuit and not a tie and sports jacket. But who knows. Jim went on to describe a bench that Chuck and Charlie were both sitting on. When Jim was asked why he didn't help his brother Jack, Jim said, It was like all I could do was watch. I remember they were around Jack. Three, four, seems like a dream. Like everything was happening in slow motion. But I remember them going like this. He demonstrated moving his arm. They were moving it, and I... I got the impression that they were going to hurt him. The other two men just sat on the bench. The bench itself was attached to the wall, more like it was molded to the wall, and it was five to six feet from where Jim was standing. There was an opening, and one of the beings was standing in the opening. Jim said the beings looked almost like people, but they weren't people. They were skinnier. They wore blue-gray suits that were shiny and skin-tight, and they were about five feet tall. After the beings looked at Jack's arm, they began looking at his throat, touching it with their hands and studying the musculature. Jim also said the creatures were communicating with each other about Jack, but he couldn't hear anything. Their motions and mannerisms seemed to indicate communication. Then Jim realizes he can see the creatures' faces. He said, They're like bugs. They've got bug eyes. Their eyes aren't eyes. They aren't on the front of their head. They're more temporally located. Temporally means more towards the sides or the temple. The eyes did not have pupils and they did not blink. They were a blackish-brown color. The faces were light color with no nose and only a trace of a mouth and only holes for ears. They all wore suits of shiny metallic fabric. They had three to four fingers, as I mentioned, and two of the fingers looked like they were connected, like having one fat digit. Jim once again turned to Jack. Jack's eyes were open and looked astonished, like he can't believe what is going on. Jim said he personally felt dulled, though Jack seemed to be more aware. Jim then notices that the creatures have some sort of probe in their hands. It's thin and long, about 8 to 10 inches, and they're touching Jack's eyes with it. It doesn't seem to bother Jack. 
The handheld probe has a white blinking light on the end that they use to view Jack's eyes. Jim watches his brother Jack as he removes his clothing. The creature looks at Jack's genitals. They look at his knees and make him rotate his feet, leg, his feet, and make him rotate his feet, legs, and toes. They look at his rear, but they are most interested in his genitals. Jim could hear a low hum in the room, and it felt warm and humid. The creatures were holding Jack's arm, and they take him to another place, out of the room. Then it's Jim's turn. The creatures did the same things to Jim as they did to his brother. The creatures communicated to Jim telepathically. Jim had the impression that if he did not do what they said, there would be trouble. Chuck and Charlie were still sitting on the bench. The beings began to take Jim through an opening. It opened into a hallway that was short and straight, with slightly curved walls. Jim said they felt like bugs touching him. They poked him hard in the ribs to make him move. They walked to another room with a flat table made of thick metal. Jim lies down on the table. The room had dividers like a large room divided into smaller ones. There was a light above the table. Jim believes that the creatures were attempting to collect a sperm sample from him. Jim is pissed. He wants to murder these things. The creatures show no emotion. Finally, Jim is allowed to go back to the other room and get dressed. Charlie and Chuck are still on the bench. Jack isn't there at first, but eventually comes back into the room. Jim can't remember anything else except being in the canoe. Now it's going to be Jack's turn to be hypnotized. Just so you know, each time we're actually... I pulled out snippets from their transcripts of their hypnosis sessions. So if it seems like I'm repeating something or jumping around, that's just kind of how the session went for that particular individual. So we just did Jim's. Now we're going to do Jack. Jack's session picks up from inside the craft. Jack says that he is able to breathe and move his eyes, but he otherwise is unable to move. He says the alien eyes are like eggs and shiny, and they have large round heads with the mouth on the bottom, like a turtle mouth. They have no thumbs. When Jack was moved to another room, he was put in a machine. The creatures put something on his chest, and the machine made buzzing noises. They have Jack sit up and use an instrument to get a urine sample. Jack remembers that it was painful. He says that eventually the beings take the four men near a tube the size of a Volkswagen, and they're told to stand next to it. The tube starts moving and coming toward them. They're all screaming, and Jack watches the others disappear in the tube. Jack said the tube makes them come apart. He said it felt like he was coming apart. It happened fast, and he didn't like it. He saw a blinding light, and then they're in the canoe. During Charlie's hypnosis session, he mentioned that the creatures blinked like a bird. There was just a flash of something going over the eye. Birds have a third eyelid, called a nictitating eyelid, that is located beneath the upper and lower eyelids, and it sweeps across the eye horizontally. Nictitating simply means blinking. Charlie also described that the aliens placed a panel above his chest, and also took scrapings. The whole ordeal was like some kind of physical. 
And finally, Chuck was hypnotized. Chuck said that he could see the aliens probing Charlie's ribs. They invaded Charlie's rib cage with some kind of instrument. When they removed the instrument, there was no bleeding and no large wound. Then they placed the thing on Charlie's midsection. Charlie seems to be in pain, and the device is left on for a long time. They finally take the device off Charlie, then they take him to Chuck's right. Then Chuck and Charlie follow the beings to a portal that takes them back down to the canoe. There's a floating sensation, and they are about 60 feet above the water. The portal has blue tube-like things. The portal door is like a membrane and opens when the alien waves its hand in front of it. They walk to the edge of the portal, and it's almost like being lifted down in a sitting position, like on a ski lift. The aliens place them back in the canoe and arrange their seating positions. Two aliens stood in waist-deep water beside the canoe, arranging them, then left when they were arranged properly. The canoe was only 30 feet from shore and right at their camp. So after the hypnosis sessions with each of the four men, we learn that each went through some similar scrutiny from the aliens. In addition, each had different types of medical-like experiments or tests done to them with devices. The twins both mentioned that the aliens were interested in their genitals and in collecting sperm samples. There are theories out there that identical twins are particularly interesting to aliens and tend to be abducted because of their identical bodies. We know what happens once the men arrive back at camp. The fire is out. They're shocked and stunned as they watch the UFO take off. They sit at the picnic table at their camp and fall asleep there. But this isn't the end of their experiences. Honestly, it really wasn't the beginning of them either. Research shows that abductions often start at the age of three to four, and at that time the abductee is treated as a marked specimen and is taken again and again over their lifetime. The Weiner twins, Jack and Jim, had a ghost that they talked about as young kids. They called the ghost Harry, and it even appeared to their parents as a white-glowing, robed, bearded figure at the foot of their parents' bed. It was all white, and it seemed like it was standing. The parents were stunned, and it seemed like the ghost was glowing. Jim and Jack shared their remembrances of Harry the ghost. When we were young, I remember that I would hear voices at night. Not every night, but now and then. Uh, we would go to bed, and I would hear this music, which, for the longest time, I used to think was a television show coming from our neighbor's house. It was almost like a drum sound, like a boom, boom, a slow booming drum sound. For some reason, it disturbed me when I was young, hearing that sound. It seemed like whenever I could hear that, I would also hear somebody calling my name. A low male voice that would, uh, call my name. It would sound like this. It would go, Jim, 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 and it would sound just like that repeat Jim three or four times, and it would scare the living shit out of me. You know, we grew up Catholics, and when I was a little kid, I always thought it was God calling me or something for some reason, either because I did something bad, or maybe he wanted to take me away from this life. So it used to terrify me, and I'd always wind up going straight to the bottom of my bed, under the covers, 
and staying there until the next morning. There was one incident I still remember. Uh, One night, it started out as this deep male voice calling Jim, and then there were other voices involved, high-pitched female voices. There was some kind of background noise that they were making. It was a wailing noise or a whistling noise or something, and I remembered it just really terrified me. Also, when we were young, we used to hear knocking sounds in our room. We used to attribute these things to our to a a ghost that we called Harry the Ghost. All these things, weird things, used to go on in our house. And my mother and father would say, Oh, that's just Harry the Ghost. Don't worry about it. He won't hurt you. I remember Jack used to claim that he would see these creatures in our room, that they would come into the room and try to pull the covers off his bed and try to take him out of his bed. Or we would go to bed at night and we'd wake up with this sound of somebody banging or knocking on the walls with their knuckles, and I would get so terrified. We'd start screaming for my father, and he'd come in the room and say we were having a nightmare. Now this is Jack Weiner's recollection of Harry the Ghost. My first memory of Harry goes back to when I was about four or five years old. It was after we had moved into the new house that my father had built. Our house was the first one built in the middle of a fairly remote area that consisted of vast expanses of cornfields interspersed with underdeveloped wood. Jim and I shared a bedroom at the far end of the house. One night, I was aroused from my sleep by a presence in our bedroom. I awoke to find a horrible-looking monster standing next to my bed. I remember that I could see it very plainly because there was a nightlight turned on in our room. It was like nothing I had ever seen before and seemed to float back and forth next to my bed. It had large eyes and a big head, and it didn't make any sounds. It just seemed to stare at me for a short time and then began to remove the covers from the bed. At that point, I became extremely afraid and tried not to look at it. I wanted to scream, but I couldn't. My mouth and my voice wouldn't work. The next thing I remembered was the covers being drawn up over me and seeing the monster looking at me again. Then it seemed to just disappear into the thin air and was gone. That's when I jumped out of bed and ran into my parents' room so they could save me from the monster. My parents said that I had a bad dream, but I knew that I was awake and not dreaming. I told them that it really was there in our room and that I didn't want to go back into my bed again because I was afraid that it would come back to get me. There was also a childhood story of a time that Jim had some missing time and a mishap while returning home from sledding one winter when he was around the age of five or six. He went out when it was snowing and the storm got worse. Jim got lost somehow and fell into an open hole at a construction site. He nearly froze to death. Under hypnosis, Jim remembers that alien beings were there with him. He had tripped and fallen into a septic tank hole about seven to eight feet deep. The being showed up after he fell. According to Raymond Fowler, sometimes the aliens put you into a situation, so when you do come to, it looks like the situation is the reason behind the missing time. It was discovered that Chuck Rack also encountered aliens at the age of four and five. Both Jack Weiner and Charlie Foltz had scoop marks resembling punch biopsies that are in the exact location of other abductees. 
It was also found that after the main abduction, they had remnants of UV light injuries. Years later, after the abduction, Chuck Rack, who lived in an isolated area, surprised trespassers and had his house buzzed by black helicopters. There was a guy in a late model blazer who was clean cut and had short cropped hair and a dressy shirt. The man claimed he was investigating Class 6 roads with a metal detector. The license plate on the vehicle was unusual and was possibly some type of official plate. When Chuck confronted the man, the man became anxious to leave and seemed nervous being questioned. The next day, the helicopter buzzed the house. It had no markings and looked like an olive-black Sikorsky. Chuck had never seen them in the area before. Chuck took the time to investigate the man's claims. When asked, the Vermont State said they do not check roads with a metal detector, and he received the same answer from the highway department. Though the trespasser said he had a metal detector, he wasn't holding one, and there wasn't one in his truck either. The man also mysteriously had no kind of accent at all. As far as the Allagash 4 go, in retrospect, all four had seen UFOs or had been abducted before. All four passed polygraphs. Jack and Charlie passed three. Jim passed. And though Chuck was on the antidepressant Prozac, the administrator said he also passed. This story, without a doubt, intrigued me and scared the crap out of me, mostly because I found the story both unbelievable and completely 100% believable. I believe the story these men shared, even though it's hard for me to wrap my head around the whole thing. It also made me question some missing 411 stories I'm familiar with. Like, did some of those people get abducted and placed in a situation like Jim Weiner was when he was in that hole, but they weren't found in time? That's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget we need your stories. Please, if you have a paranormal story, ghost story, alien or UFO story, cryptid story, please send it to me at lurkpodcast at yahoo.com or send a message through our socials. Please help us revive the tradition of sharing scary stories at Christmas. Lurk is available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at lurkpodcast.com where you can find episodes and links to our social media accounts. We also have a YouTube channel if you prefer to listen that way. If you have a moment, please consider giving us a five-star review and refer us to your friends. And until next time, keep lurking. Keep lurking.